0: Katerina are you there?
1: I am there. I am here. <laughs> I'm there. I'm everywhere. Yeah, so how was your week? How's your week week been? Week's
0: been okay. I've been finalizing the next production run. So, that's been taking up a lot of my time. And I went to the packaging innovation show in Olympia last week.
1: Did you see anything interesting?
0: Plastic free, the plastic free aisle, they had quite a big stand you know, it really was about sustainability. The most interesting thing I saw was from a German company. And what they've done is they've, the the closure is, as we know, the the difficult part, the tubes can be recycled, but it's usually the closures that can't be recycled. And that's because of the hinge. And if you make the hinge out of the tube plastic, it tends to deteriorate and, and snap off. So what this German company have done is they've, they've welded a sort of closure mechanism onto the tube made of the same plastic as the tube they've created a separate hinge mechanism that detaches from the cap, so they've reduced plastic by about eighty percent the unrecyclable plastic by about eighty percent in the closure. but how expensive it is i don't know
1: that's the problem right with with the, with a the sustainable packaging is that it's so expensive or you have to order so, such high volumes so all the small brands uh that we all are good people and want to do good um we can't afford it i mean i came across that problem a few months ago as well uh when i was looking at packaging and it's it's so depressing because um it well it's not economical viable and as i said small brands we you might not even have the cash to to buy like millions of caps because just because they are made out of pla or something biodegradable I struggle a lot with this, and this is not only with the, the brand, but uh, in, in, ge- in life in general, you know, you want to do good, you want to like reduce plastic, you want to reduce your carbon emissions, you want to, like for example, I was at some point buying water in glass bottles, and then you realize that, well, uh, well, these glass bottles are heavier, so of course then I'm increasing the CO emissions, because I'm, I'm choosing a packaging that is heavier, although it's it's not plastic, it's, you know, it's, it's glass. So it will eventually um, degrade. Uh, And it's, it's just this, even if you try to do one thing good, you always end up doing something wrong at the other end, you know? But when it comes to plastic, I think the, the only viable solution is to really get the biodegradable materials up and running and make them like mass produced because we have so much plastic now that even the, I know, 15 years ago a lot of people were talking about plastic that it was such a good material because you could recycle it and it can be reused and remolded etc and in theory yes but we aren't doing it and now we produce so much plastic overall that it's a problem uh and we can't recycle everything so i think we just um yeah that you know any company who's working on on biodegradable materials you know please hurry up because um we we need it we can't we can't continue producing new Uh, new plastic packaging and even recycle them because we have too much plastic anyway so we're just so wasteful right now like we had a birthday not a birthday party but we had a party kids party this weekend uh, on our block and it was an amazing party with uh, they had a bouncy castle they had music uh, they had cake everything that kids need and then they handed out these glow-in-the-dark plastic um, rods you know that annoyed me because you did, those are completely unnecessary.
0: The couple of solutions that I did see, uh, well, not solutions, but a couple of really good packaging ideas that can reduce the amount of unrecyclable plastic that we are using were from European countries, uh, Germany, Poland, uh, Holland. And um, I don't know if you know, but uh, there's something called Brexit that's happening here.
1: I've never heard the word,
0: (laughs) you know, just, just as we start to make inroads into, you know, reducing plastics, um, there are, there aren't many companies in the UK doing it. A lot of the innovation is coming from Europe, but if I want to source packaging from Europe, uh, that's now, again, I'm, we're going to be penalized and priced out of the market because there will be tariffs involved in importing from Europe.
1: No one knows still what's going to happen. Like I was looking at the CTPA website and they were, the the, the latest news they had about Brexit was basically just a request or their position on, on Brexit. And they were asking for, um, you know, uh, to have a free custom, custom-free zone with Europe and to keep all the legislation similar to europe in terms of um well safety assessments etc uh and they they wanted to be like uh have a system very similar to to the um the european portal where you log all the products so you know it was very obvious they were just basically saying can we just have it as it is and not change a
0: thing honestly the more i talk about it the more (laughs) stressed or stressful i get and i don't even sell in europe yet but if I ever get onto Amazon, <laughs> don't know if I will, but you know, if that ever happened, you know they had they sell in Italy, Germany, Spain, and France. So, w- what's Amazon going to do?
1: You will be kicked out of Amazon. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's it's uh, the thing is. So you know, stop me here if I'm I'm wrong because as I said, I'm not in the UK right now. But as I understand it, there's still people don't know what's going to happen. And it very, I mean, we're talking March next year. That's not a long time away. And that could be, I mean, if it's a hard Brexit, I mean, from that day, as you say, cost tariffs, uh, and the thing is no one will really know what's going to happen. And let's just focus on the beauty industry for now. But as you say, like if you're sourcing packaging, if you're sourcing ingredients from maybe... Um, you know, a farmer or supplier in Europe that hasn't been a problem before, that's going to affect, I mean, it's going to have a massive impact on, on the companies in the UK, which is a pity because, you know, there's some, uh, there's a lot of good companies and it's going to take years to get it all sorted, I think, you know.
0: And, and also what's quite interesting is that uh, a big company like M&H Plastics in, in Suffolk are owned by RPC, which is a Dutch company, I believe. So, so how's that going to work? Are we going to source it from M and H? Are we going to go to RPC? Or and and nobody knows what's going to happen. No deal's been done um, at the moment. It looks as though there isn't a deal going to be done. I think it's all. Negotiation tactics, and that the problem is is that you go into a negotiation that you, as a business negotiation, and you, you have to be prepared to walk away to get the best deal in in whatever you're doing, but unfortunately, this isn't um, a standard business negotiation in a way um, it's it's much more complex than that
1: but I'm thinking what's going to happen with the regu- regulations I mean because obviously, as it works in Europe. You have the EU directives, but then each country takes those directives and they make their own laws uh, out of it. But I'm thinking of the cos- for the cosmetic industry because will will the EU regulations as they are as they stand now will they be valid or will there the day in March I forget the date when when it happens will all of those regulations just vanish? <laughs> You know what I mean? Will they be void and then there is like uh, the wild west for a while in the UK? I don't know, you know.
0: I don't think so because because we all comply. You know, all the products at the moment are being made to the same standard. So they're not suddenly going to not be the same standard. They've all been manufactured to, to, to European legislation. And I think we will we will just ensure that that is how it is. So we can comply with Europe. Um but looking on the bright side, I suppose we could then say, OK, well, we we comply with all the European legislation, but as the UK cosmetic industry, we are now going to take it further. And not only are we going to comply with Europe, we're going to maybe comply with the FDA and maybe comply with, um, I think Japan has different regulations um, and South America. And maybe we can try and have a universal uh, legislation that complies with all countries if that's possible maybe just trying to think on the bright side maybe that's a way forward but but it is quite worrying I would think for companies that do a lot of exporting
1: yeah you know because I just think the the issue uh just the the technicalities of it I mean imagine the day when when you guys leave the EU and suddenly just thinking the actual practice like suddenly you have customs <laughs> by the I mean, you have it still, yeah. Uh, UK border, obviously, but I can just see the people working in the in the uh, fulfillment houses of the shipping, um, you know, the DHLs of the world. Uh, how they suddenly everything change, and there will be like a massive delay in packages for like weeks and weeks because people won't really know what the deal is. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen.
0: We've spent decades building cosmetic legislation. So I don't know. I, I've no idea.
1: Let's call Theresa May and ask her.
0: If I ask her about <laughs> deodorant regulation uh, after Brexit, not sure that's massively high on her agenda. But what it does show is that that's what we're concerned about. You know, I'm concerned about skincare, body wash, uh, deodorant, things like that. And that's one tiny part of uh, one industry of which there are tens of thousands of different sorts of companies and industries out there. Um, all with their individual complexities and complications. It's
1: going to be a a challenge.
0: There's a lot of work to do.
1: Or it will be you leave the EU and then like six months later, there's a general election. It's like, no, by the way, actually, can we join again? (laughs) And then the process starts again and you have to like reapply.
0: It really is up in the air. Who, Who knows where we'll be this time next year? Whether whether you think leaving is a good thing or a bad thing, um, that's sort of irrelevant, really. It's 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 those of us who are now trying to, you know, we are where we are. I, I can't be dealing with in or out. I have to be dealing with with what we're given, um, because I'm not in charge of of that. Um, so yeah, just trying to deal with the everyday. I agree. Anyway, please tell me you've got some better news.
1: I do Um, you know we're talking about how social media you know affects us all and how the way we and the beauty industry and how people work I saw that Esther Lauder uh, is going to change uh, a bit of their or their strategy in marketing and instead of having you know a big story for each brand and and um, uh, they're going to change the storytelling to micro stories so imagine you put on as people do on Instagram, you know they put a, um, a an image, and then you just type like a little comment on that, and then next day you kind of put something else, and it's about a different topic. Um, so, yeah, they're going they're moving towards micro storytelling instead of having these big brand stories.
0: So they're moving away from the big campaigns, are they?
1: N- not necessarily, but it's it's like well, you know, if you have a brand, and there's always. Um, some kind of story behind behind the brand take la mer for example you know you have the you have the magical broth and you have the sun the moon that harvested whatever <laughs> yeah uh, it's a story right yeah and the astronaut got it's a story whereas i think micro storytelling is more like short stories more condensed more precise um and then just linked to to one image some some influencers do that very well
0: yeah that is interesting that's an interesting move
1: what else you got Sam? How is uh how's the new retailer going?
0: Uh I had a discussion interestingly with another retailer this week who is opening a teen focused skincare center in London. And it's interesting to find out what different people need from a brand. For instance, if you're going into somewhere like Boots or Superdrug, you know, the high street, thereafter categories of product so they like you to either be a skincare brand or a deodorant brand and if you're cross category uh, and if you have like a deodorant and a shampoo and skincare um, it's very difficult for them to place you because generally you only have one or two um, SKUs in in each category Uh, and that means it doesn't stand out on shelf which means they don't think you can sell and and it scuppers you. Whereas if you're going into somewhere like Urban Outfitters or even a department store, um, you can go cross-category because they sell, like Space NK, they sell by brand. So your brand is all in one place rather than being split into categories. It's just interesting to figure out what it is that the buyer for the retail outlet is is looking for. Have you had any experience of, of that?
1: Yeah, I think in some way I guess they're they're similar. I mean obviously they want to find the products that sell, but I think you have to as you say you have to kind of look at the store overall. Like what what the store stands for, the retailer stands for. It. Like Urban out- Outfitters, I can understand if they they're looking for like maybe a bit more funky, smaller brands, a bit more interesting, cool and hip, uh a bit different. Uh whereas Boots probably aren't looking for the uh Hackney, uh, handmade deodorant. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. It's like you, you have to. I think that's you have to do your homework. I think in terms of who who you are approaching. But then at the end of the day, it's it's uh, it's tricky because you might interpret it as something, and then the buyer is looking for something completely different, or they're they're changing their uh, their strategy. Uh, like I was talking to um, one of the buyers at Boots. But you know at that point, they were very much looking for changing, and they were at that point very much looking for like different new brands, smaller brands because they wanted to change the 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 um kind of the the look and feel of the boot stores and stuff and and and, th- and that's impossible to know. I mean if you go into a store and how could you know if they want to change it or not you know um, but i think, I think the key is to do your homework the best you can and just look how they how the products are sold
0: yeah completely. Um, I, I what I'd add to that is if if anyone's listening that, that wants to start a brand, don't try and please a particular retailer.
1: Don't underestimate online. I think you should always have an online store. And I think even if you're not selling retail, I think selling online is, is the way to go. I mean, that's, that's very easy to set up. But nowadays, you really need to be clever in the way you get the word out. You have to cut through the noise or really find your your niche uh, to be successful online I think it's
0: yeah completely Um, nobody is looking for you nobody's interested in what you're doing no one cares Um, and so you know you have to bear that in mind I mean the benefit of online services you get to keep all the margin but the downside is that people have to find you and you're not going to come up on Google. You're not going to come up on anything because everyone else is paying much more than you to do that. And if you think that you can become viral, that's very, very difficult. Look, there's a handful of beauty brands that have done that a handful and it's taken them years to, to build up to that. So be re- be realistic, stay true to your message and network, create useful content, keep going. Keep plugging away, and uh, you know it'll build slowly year on year and and every every single customer is is hard fought for and hard won, and um, you need to look after them
1: absolutely you know speaking of networking Sam um, I'm going to a uh, do some networking in an hour's time where are you going it's uh the the fashion industry group in Chicago they have a a seminar on clean beauty. So it's called Beyond Pretty, The Rise of Clean Beauty. So I'll report back to you next time what the Americans think of clean beauty.
0: Could you feel me tense up here when you said clean beauty?
1: (laughs) Raise my hand and said, okay, right. So what do you guys actually mean? And I'll I'll use it in my my best British accent I possibly can.
0: (laughs) Well, that'd be good. That'd be interesting. You'll meet some quite interesting people there. Yeah. Because there's a bit of a time difference. So what is that? Is that um, sort of uh, early evening event?
1: Yeah. So it's five o'clock here now. So it's uh, six to eight. So yeah, it's an evening thing. So I need to find something fashionable to wear. I'm going to be fashion people.
0: <laughs> well, as it's nearly uh, six o'clock there, it's nearly 11 p.m. here. So I'd better sign off and, and let you get ready for your event. And we shall talk about it next week.
1: Yeah, let's do that. Speak to you soon. Bye.
0: Bye.